On today's show, we have Adrian, the co-founder of Domination Finance. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, team, and token, along with any plans on the roadmap. Domination Finance is the world's first DEX for dominance trading. Adrian, let's get started by giving some background about yourself. Sure. I'm 24 years old. I'm from Chicago, and I've been in crypto since about 2011. I got into it playing RuneScape, TLDR. We had a merchant plan. We would pump and dump the in-game items on the in-game exchange. It's called the Grand Exchange. And our clan got a lot of in-game currency, but I wanted to liquidate it to real-life money. So I ran into a few problems. My account on the game was very precious to me, and I had very good in-game stats. So when I was digging around, they said, hey, if Jagex, the company who makes RuneScape, catches you liquidating your RuneScape to real-world trading, they're going to ban your account. So that kind of tweaked me out a little bit. I thought, okay, I need to find another solution, but I need money now. So I was like 12 or 13 years old at the time. Started browsing some forums, literally, literally 2011, started browsing some forums, went to 4chan slash G, which is their technology board. And they were like, hey, uh, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? And I was like, no. I need to find out more about this. They said, go to Bitcoin Talk Forum. That's the only place you need to go. So I went to Bitcoin Talk Forum, went down the rabbit hole. Mind you, there weren't any exchanges back then. It was either you mine it or you PayPal someone and they send it to you, right? It was all client wallets. So um, yeah, I got scammed the first four times because I didn't have a real place to buy it. I would send someone RuneScape money and cross my fingers that you know I would get some Bitcoin in my wallet. Got scammed over and over. Eventually, I finally got it, so I was super happy. Had my BTC. Shortly after that, Mt. Gox launched, and then Coinbase also launched shortly following Mt. Gox. From there, just mostly followed the markets as I went along, because obviously I still had to go through the track of like high school, you know, growing up and that sort of thing. So I never really had the time outside of school and soccer practice to really sink my teeth into it. It was really after graduating high school in 2015 when I started going to more meetups. The cool thing was, is that's when Ethereum launched, right? So when Ethereum came out, it was like smart contracts. And for the rest of the crypto community, that was mind-blowing. So I, I was stoked. So 2016, older brother and I went to about four different Ethereum meetups nearby because there was a few going on in Chicago. Kept learning more and more. Then 2017 happened, which is where a lot of people got their first introduction to the space. 2017 happened. Everything's skyrocketing. All my normie friends started asking me more questions about it. You know, the ones I actually cared to help out who were my actual friends who were like, <laughs> right, I actually did help them. Everyone else who knew me as the crypto guy, I didn't really care. But yeah, fast forward from there. I was also a college athlete for a bit, dropped out of school to work in crypto full time, started working at a, a syndicate real estate fund that tokenized their shares of real estate in ERC-20s, which is pretty cool. They made a security token. And I was also based out of Chicago. I, I don't know. I, I really was always gravitated towards the permissionless aspect of crypto. So the idea of fractionalizing real estate and having it be a security, which I understand you have to in that world, but that didn't really appeal to me so much because I was like, man, like it's not DeFi, right? <laughs> so I mostly got out of there. Banded up the squad, which is myself and my three other co-founders who are Michael Symbolisti, Jordan Mines, who is my older half-brother as well, fun fact, and Joshua Bowden. So we got together in June of 2020. We started out the, I guess, the early ideas of domination. Michael actually had the original idea for the first instrument, not the brand itself. He used to work at a company called Exodus Wallet. 
And their CEO is actually one of our investors. And I'll get that later at their cap table. But uh, yeah, so when he was working at Exodus, he approached UMA protocol and was like, hey, this is really cool. Can we make Bitcoin dominance tradable? And they were like, absolutely. As long as you get a feed and some proof of governance. And I was like, okay. Comes back to me and he's like, hey, he's like, this isn't tradable anywhere. And now it totally is, right? But back then, like, there is no way to trade it. And if you could trade it, it was only on centralized exchanges like Bitfinex, which are kind of sketchy. And it was like Bitcoin dominance out of the top 25 market cap or Bitcoin dominance out of top 100 without stables. And sure, that's more volatile. I guess my issue with that was it wasn't the, the true BTC dom, right? For me, I think anything within the crypto top market cap matters for determining the calculation of Bitcoin dominance. And I look at it as more of a hedge instrument instead of a, a trading tool. If Bitcoin dominance, you know the good old saying, Bitcoin dominance is high, buy altcoins. Bitcoin dominance is low, buy Bitcoin. So I thought for institutional level trading volume, it would probably make the most sense if we just had them hedge on that directly long or short. So we got right to work. We started working out in the interface, started exploring how to create the SINs and UMA. We went over a few different structures, one of which was a one token model. And then we eventually settled on a two token model because it was just easier to keep the pairs collateralized and keep it more capital efficient. One of the earliest people we talked to as well was CoinGecko, actually. We actually talked to Bobby and TM, their two founders, in September of 2020. And we showed them like our basic mock-up of the UI. None of the backend was done yet. Sins are still kind of in the way of being created. We were like, hey, man, you're the most trusted source for crypto anything, right? It's like CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap. But some people have their gripes with Binance. I personally don't because I think they offer a great suite of services. But I am also a person who does prefer CoinGecko over CoinMarketCap. So we're like, okay, if people are checking what BTC DOM is, they're checking anything in crypto, they're going to go to CoinGecko. And if we're going to create an Oracle feed for this trading pair, we have to use the most trusted source for BTC DOM because it's already a metric that's under so much scrutiny, right? So it's the best way to really cover your angles and make sure that people can look at you and say, oh, wow, you're doing the best you can to find the, the true measurement of this. So we got that sorted. And while we were talking to them and a little beforehand, we were like, okay, instead of making just BTC DOM tradable in a non-custodial DeFi decentralized format, we should, you know, spread our suite of various pairs. So that's why currently, right now, we don't have a token, but our DEX is live. We're live on Ethereum and Polygon networks and Bitcoin dominance, Ethereum dominance, and USDT dominance are all tradable right now. Yeah, that's just a bit about my background, how the team got together, the product, its inception, and basically what it came today. Cool. Is the team all currently still located in the US? You guys, you mentioned across the world? We are all based in the US. We are all in the Chicago metropolitan area. We have an office in Logan Square, but um, typically, you know, everyone just works from home and is fully remote. So I travel quite frequently, and so does my other co founder, Michael. We're going to Dubai all of next month for Crypto Dubai. So it doesn't really matter where we are or the time zone change. It's all done remote. It's good to have a home base where like everyone's kind of close, right? So when we come back from traveling, it's like we know within like a, a 20 mile radius, the whole squad is here. That's cool. So what beyond just the team, do you guys have other advisors that are part of the team or you mentioned some investors that came on board? Yeah, we just recently closed a seed venture round for $3.2 million in total. The round is led by Parify Capital. The reason why we wanted them to be our lead is because they are 
probably the most dominant DeFi brand, at least in the VC world, and probably have the best proven track record for helping scale specifically DeFi projects. Obviously, they have other things in their portfolio as well. But uh, what really spoke out to us was they were probably one of the first, if not the first, to kind of get um, synthetics for SNX off the ground. And the Parify team worked very closely with Kane ETH and helping scale it. So when we took that information in, we kind of thought to ourselves, okay, well, we're pretty similar to synthetics, even though they have very different derivatives to trade, right? Which is, you know, just tokens, indices, et cetera. We thought, okay, like, we should probably go with these guys. So Michael had the connection to them. We reached out, took care of business, clearly. They led around. And we were supported by some other very large investors as well. Another important one for us was uh, AU21 Capital. They're a venture firm that is really good for uh, pre-launch. I would say probably the best in the world for crypto for pre-launch. And they help assist in other things as well and helping us tap into the Asian market, which has been very helpful. Another heavy hitter in their venture round too is uh, Dragonfly. Dragonfly is also a pretty dominant VC and very large fund. Aside from big funds too, we did try to keep the round pretty diverse, so it's not too top heavy. Besides a, a DeFi focus and a coverage focus, we also wanted to get two of the top five large centralized exchanges in. So we got Huobi and OKX invested in our round as well. So you strategically placed some great investors on the cap table, huh? Absolutely. Like I, did, I didn't want it to be all DeFi because I know Parify is such an awesome fund that they can kind of backpack that on their own. Dragonfly is also pretty DeFi heavy as well. Tom Schmidt over at Dragonfly was basically our lead doing the DD and the deal for them. He's one of their, uh, I guess, partners. He also is a pretty strong knowledge base in the DeFi world. But on top of the DeFi world, we also understand that a lot of people get into crypto via centralized trading. So if they're going to have, I guess, an intro to our projects before they even know what our product is, they're probably going to see your token listed somewhere. So yeah, we definitely wanted the distribution networks and the powerful brands of UOB and OKX behind us as well. And those are two top five exchanges in the world by trading volume. Past that, we have a bunch of awesome angels as well. Notably, GSR, Hart Lambor, JP Richardson, and CoinGecko, and Aisha Kiani from Ledger Prime, and David Waxman from Waxman PR. I guess the thought process behind those is I already told you my co-founder, Michael, was working at Exodus before he co-founded Domination Finance with me. And uh, the thing I've always really liked about Exodus is their sexy, sexy user interface. Like crypto or non-crypto, they have the best UI UX I've seen in my life, right? So we were like, okay, we're definitely taking some design inspiration from them. And I'll get into the importance of that in a minute after I talk about the round. Hartland Bohr is also one of the co-founders of UMA. And so because we're building on his protocol, it made the most sense to have invested and to really kind of help guide us for whenever UMA releases new updates or new suites, their derivative palettes. And he's just a good overarching influence to have in the rest of the team because he's a pretty successful guy himself. CoinGecko, for obvious reasons, already told you, they produce our feeds. We use our CoinGecko feeds. So we felt that CoinGecko should be vested themselves. And then uh, Aisha Kiani is a, a strong track record for working with market makers because she's also part of Ledger Prime, which is a crypto research quant and trading firm. And that basically completes the round. So yeah, I mean, like there's definitely some weighted influence in like two or three key areas, like exchange listings, DeFi, and overall brand presence. But uh, a few of them were for strategic niches, I would say. I don't want to forget GSR as well. They're probably the largest market maker in the world 
and we're proud to be partnered with them and have them in our rounds. Well, I mean, that's definitely a very strategic team. I mean, that's a nice cap table there, right? And they all have been influential in the success so far. Absolutely. I, I love all of them. I mean, you mentioned, you know, what you guys are trying to accomplish. How did you guys kind of initially measure the market size and, you know, in determining the start of this project? I'm going to be super real with you. When we started this, we were wondering why no one else did it. Think about it. Like most of DeFi is either a copy pasta DEX where someone forks Uni V2 and adds an inflationary shit token and calls it new new projects. They write a 30-page thought leader essay on why it's a very big brain way to make Uni different, which you know, people care if the token goes up, but people typically don't. And then you have vaults, which just sit there and help you accumulate yield, which is great. But I don't see any reason to try and compete with the top 10 to 15 vaults that are tried and true and have been strictly audited, right? But when you look at it, we were like, man, everyone's out here trying to fork and copy pasta each other and add shit tokens on top of it, hoping for a payday to dump on retail. We wanted to do something totally different for two reasons. Number one, we're product first without a token, which for me is almost, maybe it was stupid. Maybe we did miss the bull run. But at the same time, there's a certain level of integrity that is involved with that, where we're not just here to pump a shit token. We're here to build a world-class DEX. So we got to focus on product first, and then tokenomics came later. But besides that, it's like I said before, you know, Bitcoin dominance has probably been the most speculated metric in crypto since 2013, right? You know, I already gave the good old saying, like, it's, it tells you when it's alt season and when it's not alt season, which is the best thing it's used for. So we're like, man, like, why can I trade this? purely as BTC DOM and not BTC DOM without stables or BTC DOM on a top 50 anywhere, especially in a non-custodial format, right? Because sure, you know, like we expect every centralized exchange under the sun to copy us in two seconds if our concept blows up and gets really popular, but we're not trying to stop them. In any case, it's flattering if they do that because we want to be the consistent non-custodial option for everyone to use if they're going to be playing around at the E5. And that's basically it. But yeah, we were laughing amongst ourselves. We're just like, man, like this was the last easy idea of crypto. Like, what's what's everybody doing, dude? Like, is that also like conversation around Twitter? You know, where everyone's you know talking about Bitcoin dominance and you know whether we're going up or down or all the money's moving out of all coins into Bitcoin. I mean, do you think that's kind of did that also prompt all that conversation and sentiment around your idea? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've definitely had some Twitter engagement. And we've had some some decent anons reach out to us already, and they're like. Are we living in a matrix? Like everyone's talking about BTC Dom, and suddenly I see a I see Parify backed a, a domination dex, and I'm like, yeah, man. And they're like, is this a new thing? I'm like, nah, since June of 2020. And they're just like trying to process it all. And they're like, man, okay, yeah, it's definitely needed. But yeah, I, I guess to answer your question best, I guess the last point I'll make on that is not only was it the concept of dominance. But um, I guess for having a viable product as well that can survive various market conditions, if you look at most of these DeFi instruments, they only really work well in a bull market. If you look at your typical yield farm or vault, right now your APY, if it's definitely not denominated in stables, could be 18 to 22 to 32% APY. But if a bear market comes, and I don't know when, no one actually knows when, if they tell you they do, they're lying. But uh, if that happens a lot of those yield rates are going to go straight down the toilet. And a lot of them may yield in permanent loss and lose people money. 
So that's problem number one. Problem number two, how do you make money off of a DEX in a bear market? You hedge it as stables and you hope it keeps dropping and then keep hedging and then buy back cheaper. Whereas for us, we're in a very unique position where internally we like to label our product bull and bear market proof, just the products, mind you, right? Because think about it. Bitcoin, ETH could be half the price tomorrow, but dominance can remain the same. You're not trading the price of ETH or BTC on our exchange. You're trading the dominance over the market as a tradable percentage, right? So, and on top of that, you can also long or short it. You can benefits going up or down on the percentage. So yeah, the entire market could nuke, but domination finance can still be a great place for alpha generating opportunities. So not only do we want to build a product that we're proud of, but we also wanted to make something equally viable that's around for the long run. And that also ties into our investment round too. We have a three-year vest and a six-month cliff, which is pretty long for crypto. So we don't want anyone dumping early. You mentioned working with Uma. Kind of what is the integration there? So Uma is our Oracle solution, and they basically provide all the templates for our derivative types. It makes the most sense. We initially went with them because they were the only solution on the planet that would allow us to make a customizable Bitcoin dominance feed. We also got hit up by a bunch of Oracle solutions recently who took notice of our, I guess, the wave we caused, even though it's not that crazy yet. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, well, if you use our Oracle solution, you know, we'll make a BTC DOM feed right now. And it's like, okay, already got CoinGecko, you know, like, okay, we already have UMA. So yeah, um, UMA, them being the protocol they are, made it easier for us to focus on building the product itself and not fretting too much about the solidity code for all the derivatives and the uh, optimistic oracle, which is really important for us to stay lean and move fast. We consider ourselves an application layer project right now. And it's better to focus your efforts in that direction because it's easier to go cross-chain if most of your code isn't solidity code. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, let's, I guess, kind of, you know, while you're discussing CoinGecko and the oracles is how do you guys aggregate and take the dominance metric? It's straight from CoinGecko. So with UMA, you can create your own feeds or your own derivative types by getting approved through their governance. So what happens is, is we take CoinGecko's Bitcoin dominance, ETH dominance, and USDT dominance feeds in their API. And we go, hey, UMA, we want this to be approved as a feed. And their governance said, okay, and they voted yes, which means it's approved. You can take that feed, put it in their optimistic oracle, and now you have an on-chain feed for Bitcoin dominance. That's like the most simple TLDR of explaining it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess one question maybe is, you know, any way that that data from CoinGecko or anything can kind of be manipulated by any parties? It's really hard to manipulate it. Either CoinGecko would have to have a flaw in their system and their global API, which is what we pull from for the data, or many tokens in the top 50 to 75 market cap would have to dump on retail pretty hard, right? Which sometimes they do, and I'm not going to name names, so I don't want to make enemies, but sometimes they do, but they would all have to basically do that in unison to throw off the dominance metrics so hard that UMA's optimistic Oracle solution wouldn't be able to keep up. Because UMA's optimistic Oracle has less frequent pushes, and then we have our own caching solution to make sure that everything is up to date and good to read the events on the Ethereum blockchain. So yeah, like there would have to be multiple things going wrong all at once. And if that's the case, we also have our own backup feeds as well. So it's not particularly an issue. 
And if anything, because we use an optimistic Oracle solution with UMA, theoretically, if there was ever a work in the system for a little bit, like it would just create a slight arbitrage opportunity. Because for each trading pair, we have two liquidity pools that add up to 100. So it's like, if Bitcoin dominance is 45, the BTC DOM synth, the synthetic tokens, clearly, would be 45. And the inverse BTC DOM would be 55, right? So it's about having enough liquidity to keep those on peg and balanced. So yeah, TLDR, it would be very difficult for that to get boards and shut down. Like, that would be a coin gecko problem, not an R problem. All right. If we have an investor that wants to participate now, can you kind of walk us through the process, what they have to do? They show up on the website, connect their MetaMask wallet, and kind of what happens there if they're anticipating Bitcoin to be the dominant over the next few months? Yeah, sure. Honestly, you know how I talked about before, how we're like really proud of having the exodus influence within our company? I guess the thing we've probably worked the hardest on, besides our contract structure and our derivative types, was also our UI UX experience. If you're trading, like market making is a bit different and we're coming out with a better way to add liquidity pretty soon in the next four to five weeks. Adding liquidity is a bit difficult because like I said, there's two liquidity pools for each pair. So having to equally add it long and short can be a bit tedious for people. As for trading the instrument itself, it's super clean, super easy. Like you, you pull it up, it'll literally just show you the chart, which most DeFi products don't have a live chart for God knows what reason. And it literally says long on a big green button, short and a big red button. You click the green or the red button. You put in your how much USDC or ETH you want to trade with. And then you click confirm and you're done. Like it's, it's really that easy. I know in DeFi, it's always like, oh, you need to, to mint this and swap to this pool and then mint another token. And like, no, like all of that is done for you in the back end, daisy chain. So basically like the, the shorting mechanic is all done for you under the hood of the product. We wanted to keep it as simple as possible for the user. I can't say right now we have that same smooth product experience for adding liquidity, but that is going to change very soon. And do you see yourselves adding leverage at some point? So we don't have a public roadmap, and I'll tell you why, but I'll answer your question first. Yes, we do plan on adding leverage. I can't promise when that's going to come. We're working pretty hard on all fronts right now to get the vault ready. Post vault and other features we plan on adding, that's definitely going to be one of the ones we gun on hard internally. The reason why I don't like putting public roadmaps, I feel like it kind of goes against our internal values of like token before product. I don't like promising something that I know we can't deliver on. So if I have a long roadmap of like, we're going to add these seven things in the next two years, if I work any one or two of those, I don't know. I would just personally feel responsible and feel like I let my users and community down. So what I like to do is I like to just keep everything under the hood. And then when we add something, we just add it and then tell everybody. We're not like, we don't like to do announcements of announcements. I think there's too much of that in crypto. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, I always agree, right? Low expectations over deliver, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I guess that's kind of hitting the news a lot lately is definitely the regulatory landscape. I mean, do you guys have any opinion there or how you're protecting yourselves moving forward and what your thoughts are? Absolutely. So we are very regulatory conscious, even though we are DEX and we are registered in the British Virgin Islands, which everyone's like, why would you care if you're registered in the British Virgin Islands and you're a DEX? We definitely want to appeal to large institutions within the U.S. and outside the U.S. And we understand that we need to be DeFi native, but also make sure that we're not the first people on the CFTCs or the SEC's hit list to come after us. So also one of our angel investors is also our general legal counsel. His name is Chris Williams from E79 Law. 
He's also a securities lawyer by trade. So he's been working with us closely since the inception of Zom, guiding us through the steps where we'd be like, hey, you know, like, this is what we want to do. Is this okay? And then comes back two weeks later and goes, all right, guys, it's good for it. He goes, no, that's not good. You got to change it. It's also the reason why we haven't launched our token yet. We wanted to make sure we did it totally properly so that there's like literally no reason under the sun that Gary Gensler and the gang won't come busting down my door. I don't know. I just feel like that's the only way to win against these kind of people because typically like the SEC and standard securities terms aren't idiots. But when it comes to crypto and determining what is or isn't a security, they're either really stupid or they just are totally okay with the rules being vague. You know what I'm saying? No, no. Sometimes people may, may they're playing stupid to kind of see what plays out a little bit too. You know what I mean? Oh, totally, totally. But like, I, I guess too much of crypto thinks they're like totally an incompetent bunch of monkeys. And that's not the case. Like if they ever decided to knock down your door, like they can do basically whatever they want to you. Yeah, it's making sure we're compliant as hell before we even launch a token. So we did find an interesting way around that. If you probably are familiar with Volmex Finance, they had to IP block Americans and so did DYDX. We didn't want to IP block Americans, but at the same time, we also want to launch token incentives within our pools. Those are coming soon. Can't name exactly when because I don't like to break promises. But uh, we did find a way to add liquidity mining while still being able to have Americans access our product. But I can't share exactly what that is, but it is, it is clever. So stay tuned and you'll find out. Stay tuned, right? I mean, so I guess you mentioned you have the uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDT. What's on the roadmap for other products to expand? What, what, what's the thoughts? Like I said, I'm teasing a token that is going to be a governance token. And once governance goes live, it's going to be our community who decides what new derivative types that we're going to be trading, right? That's the cool thing about dominance is like, there's like an infinite amount of possibilities you can make. Like you can do like NFT dominance of crypto or like centralized exchange versus decentralized exchange volume dominance or like sushi uni dominance, right? Like, like we did the basic ones first that everyone knows for like the, the institutional hedgy types, right? And like, it's also a tool I would use too if I had a ton of volume, right? I guess what I'm most excited about is seeing our community come up with ideas for crazy exotic pairs. Because like some of those can be as volatile as all hell, you know, and like the super wacky combinations. One of the biggest labels we got, even right before we raised the venture round, was that we were the FTX of DEXs. Because you know how FTX had like the Biden and Trump coins? Yep, yep, yep. During the election, you could like trade and bet on like who was going to win. People have a very similar look to us. We also feel like that we can provide that in a non-custodial format. So do you feel that you guys playing the niche of dominance pairs is what's going to allow you to have a moat around you versus you know some of the other DEXs or anything else that might take your idea and try to implement it? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think people particularly care about this niche. And most people who are trying to take a market share from someone else, they aren't typically the most talented of teams. They genuinely just hit the fork button on GitHub and add an inflationary ERC-20 token and call them new project. Most of our stuff isn't open source. So like, even if they wanted to, there is close to 100,000 lines of code that they would have to mimic and copy and know internally to create a better experience than us, which they can't. People can take our synths and list them on other AMMs, and I can't stop them doing that. But actually copying our concepts, I mean, we're backed by quite a few people. Everyone knows which group is trying to actually make this concept a reality in the most user-friendly format possible.
So I'm not particularly worried. So I guess, is there any more future plans to kind of decentralize the project in general? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's also the greatest mode is decentralization. Because we have a token, governance is coming. Governance is going to decide and what new derivatives are added. So once governance grows and our community grows and we get more derivative types on top of our beautiful base product, I really can't see someone trying to copy us, do it better. All right. As the co-founder of the startup, I mean, any piece of advice for any listeners that maybe want to build their own product in the DeFi sector? DeFi or in general? Should I do both? I mean, yeah, in the blockchain, DeFi in general. What are some of the lessons you guys have learned that might help someone else, right? <laughs> Timing is everything. I'm definitely proud of the product we built. Obviously, I wish I had started on this earlier on, right? Because we went through multiple iterations of the product before we thought the product was ready. I'm also a pretty big self-critic. So the product many times was in an acceptable launch state where I would have been okay pushing it out, but I chose not to because I was like, yeah, it has to be perfect. It's not a bad mentality to have, but at the same time, a week in crypto is a year in the traditional world for how fast moves and markets, you know what I'm talking about? Like, so you have to take that into account where you need multiple staging builds of the product or multiple branches of the products that are ready to go to prod, ready at any time. Because if the market conditions go in your favor for whatever niche you're doing, you got to be able to push the button right away and fly. Something else I would also recommend too, is that um, when you're looking for marketing outlets, KOLs and standard influencers aren't typically worth it. I mean, obviously, if you have like really big Twitter accounts who are behind what you're doing organically, that's really good for you. But if you have the people in the, the 15 to 30 range who are known for being... Uh, I call them like thonk leaders as a joke, like there's thought, they're thonk leaders, where typically they just shill a token, it pumps and they dump it all over you. That's what KOLs are gonna do. Your chart's gonna look just like this. They're gonna they're gonna shill it on Twitter. You know, the retail's gonna buy it. They're gonna dump it all itself and it's gonna go shoo. And then you're playing recovery mode for the rest of the time. So um, thankfully I didn't do that. Before I pulled trigger on any of my marketing outlets, I just did my DD where I was like, okay, here's the KOLs, here's a spreadsheet of all these Twitter accounts. Let me scroll through this and, oh, all of their charts look exactly the same. No, I agree. I agree there. I think the problem also comes from uh, some of the people that come in the space. They obviously are not educated. I think like all of us, typically most people got to take their L's before they learn their lessons. And that's the way the investing path usually goes. Any other things that we didn't cover that you want to leave off with? I'll go back to the advice thing too. And this is going to be non-crypto specific because I want people to genuinely know. I don't want to give like the, the Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, like believe in yourself speech. <laughs> this isn't a Disney movie. But at the same time, my journey was crypto wasn't cool when I first got into it. And especially before DeFi summer and before Michael Saylor pumped BTC to the moon. Thank you, Michael Saylor. Before <laughs> any of that happened, it wasn't cool at all. And I definitely lost a lot of friends and everyone thought I was some like mad psycho over fake internet money. So regardless of what people say around you, nothing they say matters because they probably still hold their money in high yield bank accounts for 0.1% a year. So yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Stick it to them. If people aren't hating, then you're not into something good, right? You're not, but also be a realist at the same time. Like make sure you actually have product market fit. Make sure you have a game plan. And if you have a day job and you rely on that day job, do not quit that day job. Just destroy your short-term health with coffee and nicotine. <laughs> yeah. If you actually do well enough, you should have the income post-project to be like, all right, what's wrong with me, doctor? And you should be able to fix it. Like, that's literally why I'm here today in the hospital. It's like, I, I've been grinding for years. And like, now that it's finally here, it's like, okay, now I can actually start to look at my health. But yeah, 
don't quit your day job. You definitely need that residual income to keep things going for your own life and paying for whatever startup costs you need to assemble a team or whatever those costs may be. I appreciate sharing that. I mean, so uh, any investors, listeners want to try the product out? Where should they go if they want to get a hold of you guys? You have Discord or what's the deal? Absolutely. So go to our Twitter first. It should be at Domination Fi for the handle. But if you search Domination Finance, it should be pretty easy to find. We have that sexy rainbow logo with the D and the F inside. Go to our Twitter page. You'll find everything there. In the bio of the Twitter, you'll have a Discord link straight to our server. And you'll also have a link to our website info page. From the website info page, that kind of has a reach out to a little bit of everything. So you'll be able to find our Discord again there. You'll be able to find our other socials. You'll be able to find our documents and tutorial page. So we have a separate subdomain full of docs. So if people have questions on how do the trades actually work? Like how does liquidity work? Why is there two liquidity pools per derivative? All of that is answered there. And we have a pretty simple FAQ for high level questions. What you'll also find in the info page is our entire suite of investors and the entire team as well. Everything is very transparent with what we do over here. And it should give you a high level overview of the product. Also from the info page, It'll take you to the exchange itself. One of them says trade now and the other one says exchange in the hamburger menu. That'll take you to the domain domination.finance, which is the exchange itself. So if you want to go straight to the exchange, just type in domination.finance in your browser and you should be good. I appreciate coming out today and sharing everything with us. Sorry for the terrible internet connection, but I didn't want to cancel on you and let you down, you know? No, I appreciate it. Thank you. 